Welcome to a holiday edition of Behind the Headlines. And on this episode, we're getting ready for some Lions football on Thanksgiving Day. So joining us on this episode, Lions lead beat writer, Kyle Munkey. They find inexplicable ways to lose, but they're explained because it's the way the Lions continue to lose every single year. And every season ends up in the same place. 2014 was a pretty good year, but every other year I've been on this beat, um, you know, it's always ended the same way. Every coach has ended the same way. I was there for Schwartz's last year, Paul was last year. I'm, I'm now here for Patricia, and it feels exactly the same as it did in 2017. So Thanksgiving might look a little bit different for all of us this year, but the one thing that remains the same is we get a Lions game. So let's get into it and talk about what's going to happen on Thursday and what's going on with the season. My co-host, as always, Vice President of Content, John Heiner. John, a huge week of football. How are you, my friend? I am well, and I'm going to just lay this right out here. Uh, I'm supposed to be objective and neutral journalist, but... (laughs) I'm wearing my Lions fan hat this week. Uh, it's it's a curse by birthright. What can I do about it? Uh, born and raised in Michigan, and I have been a Lions fan for a long time. So, uh, you know, while other people are looking at this week and worrying about COVID and Thanksgiving, I'm, I'm worried about how my Thanksgiving would traditionally get ruined um, by about 3 o'clock, 3.30 on, on Thursday afternoon. But, uh, uh, you know, you can't pick your – fandom you you pick you can't pick where you're from and this is my team so uh you know I thought this would be a great week to bring on our lead lines beat writer Kyle Meinke who has been covering the team since 2013 and has seen a lot in his time and uh this this past few weeks um there's been uh, more of a drumbeat with with the way the Lions season's going and Kyle I just want to kick this off by saying I was watching my night football last night and they put up the playoff chase graphic and under in the hunt, they had the Lions at four and six. And I'm thinking that doesn't pass the optics test, smell test, logic, or anything to me because I've been watching the games and I just saw their game uh, when they Carolina. It, it looked like the Lions didn't even show up. So, anyways, what is the state of this season as we enter Thanksgiving week, Kyle? <laughs> That's quite the setup there, John. Um, I mean, it's in disarray, man. I think anyone covering. The Lions, watching the Lions, following the Lions, following the NFL, they're pretty, I think, used to the script at this point of how these things sometimes go uh, with the Lions. And that's where we're at. I mean, they're four and six, but they're, they're worse than the record shows. They've been blown out three of the last four weeks. The one exception, and we were just talking about it off air, was a win against Washington where they were leading by 21 points in the second half against a team that's in last place in the worst division in the history of the NFL. And the Lions coughed up that 21-point lead. Need a miracle touchdown drive aided by a Chase Young uh, penalty uh, in the final 16 seconds there to win that game um, and then get blown out the following week in Carolina against a team starting an XFL quarterback. I, I mean, it's almost comical, John, of, of how far this team has fallen from the expectations of, well, we won, th- you know, we had three winning seasons in four years under Jim Caldwell. Uh, but we haven't won a division championship. We haven't won a playoff game. We haven't hosted a playoff game. It's not good enough. So we want to take the next step. And now we're three years in the Madison era, and they're grasping at straws, just trying to be competitive, still going to Thanksgiving and, and still getting blown out by an XFL quarterback. Um, you know, that's yeah, yeah, right. expectations were higher, and they just they just haven't met them. And Patricia's going to raise some very serious questions, I think, about his job security going forward because of it. I got to tell you, I turned the game on. I, I didn't read a lot of pregame coverage 
I didn't know who that quarterback was. I, I literally had to look him up on Google and see he was in the XFL. And he still puts up a like 108 quarterback rating or something, uh, which seems to be the Lions trademark the last several years is just average to no name quarterbacks going out and having career days. Um, but one thing you've been, um, and I don't think you've been um, overly unfair or anything, but you, you've held a light up to what the organization said their goal was. Um, and you, you, I think you've done a really good job, both reporting and in some of your opinions as well of holding them accountable for what they said they wanted. And, and Jim Caldwell, I mean, you look back now and shake your head, but maybe, you know, he wasn't a good fit because he won. <laughs> I've been a Lions fan since I was born. And that, that's honestly a third of the American population is 30 or younger. And they would not remember the Lions winning a playoff game or the NFC North Central. I mean, it just it's a shocking than any pro sport, you know, so. What did, what did you think when Patricia came in, just what they said they were going to do and what you thought they could accomplish? And I think that your columns speak for themselves, but they haven't lived up to that. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a nuanced situation, and sometimes nuance gets lost when people are angry and when time passes. Um, you know, it's easy to think now when things are going so poorly that, you know, that they, sh- that, that, that they shouldn't have fired Jim Caldwell. Maybe that's something that I'm seeing now. Jim Caldwell was trending on Twitter in Michigan on Sunday. Uh, the fact yes. is yes. he was trending on Twitter on Sunday, which I, I thought was wild, but wow. uh, in, in Michigan. Um, but, you know, they, he won a bunch of games. He won more often in his four years than any of the Lions in history. Um, but Lions history is not a good one. And he didn't win anything of no. He didn't win the division. He, didn't, he had a couple opportunities to win the division on the last day of the season. Didn't do it. He lost those games. Lost his two playoff games. Um, you know, there was nothing they, they did. And after two years of being with Jim Caldwell, Bob Quinn made the decision of, we're pretty good, but we're not good. And we want to be good. And I think that's a fair question to ask. I mean, I mean, if you're not winning anything, ever, then you're never quite good enough. And that's where the Lions were. They were in this purgatory. They wanted to take the next step. So I agreed with the decision to fire Jim Caldwell. Um, and they got their plan A. Matt Patricia was, make no mistake, their plan A. I mean, he goes uh, way back with Bob Quinn. And it's not just that they work together. They were very close. They see the game the same way. They believe in the same principles. Um, but it just hasn't worked. And there's a lot of reasons for that. I think Matt Patricia uh, I think he gets a bad rap for not knowing football. I, I think Matt Patricia knows football and he knows defense. I think his biggest problem has been handling the locker room. And when he came in in, in 2018, Matt Patricia, I think, thought because of where he was coming from, what he had won in New England, that he would have instant credibility with the, with Detroit, with the locker room, and that he could act a certain way let's say, um, and, and it would fly because of his, his reputation. Uh, he came in br- brash. I mean, everything you've read out there about the way Patricia conducted himself that first year is true. Um, you know, he, he walked over players, you know, he, he was, um, uh, he was, he was brash. He was I mean, I, condescending is a word I've heard from a couple of different guys. He loved to pile on guys to mistakes, uh, either on the practice or in games, he'd go into a meeting room, he'd pile on those guys. Uh, he singled out Darius Slay once in an incident that upset a lot of players, including Darius Slay, where Slay, they had been in the joint practices with the Giants 
uh, <laughs> and Slay posted a photo of himself covering Odell Beckham uh, on Instagram, and Patricia didn't like that. The next very next meeting, he starts the meeting by putting the uh, Instagram post on the projector uh, in the meeting and saying some vulgar things that I'm not going to repeat here. Wow. Um, and 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 calling him out and just making him seem like a fool for uh, you know I don't know. For, fraternizing, for fraternizing with the enemy sort of thing. Right. Yeah. I mean, Patricia's old school, you know, and um, and he's a tough guy and he hate, he hates social media and he hates players' fascination with social media. So that played he into it. He hates press too. conferences, apparently, and, and reporters. And <laughs> questions. He hates yeah. a lot of things. Yeah. No doubt. No, no, I mean, no doubt. And th- these are all the things I've, I've heard this from lots of players because when things are going poorly and everyone hates the coach. That place leaks and I've heard it from so many guys in that locker room that this is the way things went when they lost by 31 points on opening night against the Jets people were pretty shocked because that was supposed to be like this big like coordination from Matt Patricia this supposed genius and uh who was going to turn around the Lions and they get whacked by a, a rookie quarterback uh but the guys that I've talked to in that locker room are not surprised because things were so bad in the locker room and everyone hated Patricia so much so Patricia made these problems very early in his career, and he spent the past couple of years really trying to make up for it. And I, and to his credit, I think he has matured as a, as a coach. He has softened um, a little bit. Um, still runs a tough program, but he listens to guys better than he was before. Um, so, you know, it, the locker room is more around him now than before. But the problem is to get there to here, they've had to get rid of a lot of good players along the way because the players didn't like playing for Patricia. Right. Slay is a great example. Quandre Diggs is a great example. Golden Tate. Um, there's a bunch of guys like that, and they're, they're toward a new culture. Um, Isn't that only three guys who are left on the roster, three or four or something like that? From that, one... that rings true, John. I don't have the list in front of me. Newbach, obviously. Newbach. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, I'm going to go on thin ice here with this analogy, okay? But years ago, uh, this guy ran, was going to run for mayor, uh, who had a little bit of a checkered background in Detroit. His name is Kwame Kilpatrick. Right? <laughs> and they said the dude's really brash. And he, you know, he, he's and there were a lot of rumors about his character. And he had this big diamond stud earring, which was kind of turning some people off. So he took it out and he gets elected. And the night he gets elected, he goes to the podium and he puts the earring back in his ear. And he basically says, this is who I am. And Matt Patricia came in with a bunch of attitude. He had that pencil in his ear. He wouldn't take it out. And I'm like, what are you about? You know, what, what statement are you trying to make? Uh, and, and he couldn't have been more uh, diametrically different than Caldwell and his persona. And the other thing I wanted to ask you about, I've been mean to ask this for the years, but it's almost like they did these organ transplants and took half of the Patriots thinking they could win Super Bowls by just by taking, you know, I know Bob Quinn came from there. But how, what's the assessment, your assessment of that, you know, three years on? Yeah, well, that that's a symptom of this dynamic that I was trying to lay out where Matt Patricia has spent the duration of his Lions career trying to make up for those early mistakes that he, that he made with the locker room. He turned a lot of the locker room against him. So what do you do when guys don't want to play for you anymore? Those who will play for you, obviously you can do that during the draft because rookies will play for anyone. Um But between the losing and the reputation Matt Patricia got very quickly around the league, a small talent pool you can draw from. And also he wanted to bring in guys who he knew would work hard and be rubber stampers for his tough, like culture. And so one way to do that is bring in the guys you've had before that you have previous relationships with. Um, and so that, that played into the calculus, John, of bringing guys like, like uh, Trey Flowers, Danny Amendola, Duran Harmon, uh, uh, 
there's a few others. I mean, they got like seven different expatriates on the team, but these guys are now team leaders in that locker room who came from New England and are guys who rubber stamp basically the way Patricia wants to coach and play. And it hasn't worked out because I think at a lot of positions, you have worse players now than you did before and you need good players to win. And mm-hmm. so I don't think the strategy has, has worked, but I understand where it came from too, because when everyone hates you in the locker room, or not everyone, but much of the locker room hates you, you got to bring in guys who will play for you. And uh, he wanted to bring in guys that he knew and that's the way they did it. And it, it obviously hasn't worked out because I think the talent uh, gap that they have, particularly on defense is evident pretty much every week. Well, that's on my list of unexplained Lions phenomenon. Um, and I, it's a long list, but this guy was supposed to be a defensive genius. And I, I can't hardly watch a game. It's just so I suffer watching quarterbacks just r- ringing up 75% completion percentages and t- teams running who have no name running backs running through them. And, it, you know, the games that they've won have not been against the, you know, the murderer's row of the NFL. Um, you know, yeah. and, and when Stafford's offensive tools are there and, and he's playing well, they seem to be competitive, but their defense is just horrible. And, and then that's your calling card if, if you're Patricia, right? Yeah. Again, it's a, if I had an answer for this question, I'd be making a lot more money doing, <laughs> you know, working, working for somebody else because it, it's hard to explain how a guy can come in with, with a reputation for really good defense. I mean, he was supposed to be a, a genius. Like that word was being thrown around. People were talking about the engineering stuff, the rocket science stuff, uh, rocket sciences stuff. It's kind of laughable to think of where that reputation was when he came in and where this defense is now. I mean, it's, and they came last year, came in within 64 yards of setting the Lions franchise record for yards allowed in a season. A record set in 2008, by the way. They were within 64 yards of 2008 in their second year with a defensive minded coach. Now he's had three years, uh, three free agencies, three drafts to bring in a bunch of guys who are his guys, a second round pick at linebacker, a top five pick at cornerback. Uh, you can go down the list. They have uh his guys at every single one of those 11 spots on defense and it's one of the worst defenses in the league allowed 20 points last week to an, uh, a team starting an xfl quarterback down running back down two off line they lost by 20 and it could have been much more he threw uh, one through two end zone interceptions because it could have been as many as 14 points more than that it's inexplicable i think it's a talent gap um Again, you know, with the free agents they brought in, it hasn't worked out. Um, the rookies who have come in, I've been trying to rack my brain this week as I think about big picture stuff of who have they drafted, what defensive players have they drafted who got better over time? Like no, it's, I, a very, it's a very short list. Amani Orwarie, the fifth round pick from last year, who's now starting at cornerback, uh, He's, a, he's, he's getting better. He's a, a pretty solid player, I think. And he'd be much better if there was a pass rush in front of him. But that might be it. Like, I can't think of any other guys they've brought wow. in in the draft who have gotten better over time. You know, I get the – I drank the Kool-Aid every draft, you know. I, I thought, you know, Eric Ebron was going to be, you know, Tony Gonzalez. So, yeah. uh, you know, and he was after he left for a year <laughs> in Indianapolis. But uh, last night, I, I, I literally get choked up watching Aaron Donald play. I just got to tell you, right, I just can't fathom. Of course, then I talk about this with people. If they'd come to the Lions, would be Aaron Donald? Would he be hurt or on the you know been traded by now or quit football like like Calvin Johnson? Because is there a Lions effect? Because Jeff Akuda, you watched his film and, and now he was surrounded by great players at Ohio State yeah. and he's not. 
you know, here at Lions, but he looks lost out there at times. I mean, he's one, he's what the, the from the bottom on pro football focuses ranking cornerbacks. Yeah. He's top 10. He's a uh, bottom 10 rather right now. Uh, Jeff Okuda is allowed six receptions last week on six targets, including a 52, 52 yard pass to set up that first touchdown. The thing I'll say on Okuda is, you know, First of all, he's a top five pick, so you expect good things right away. He's not meeting his expectations, and I'm not saying otherwise. But I will say cornerback is the most difficult position to play for a rookie outside of quarterback. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that that we don't have to get into. But the pro game is so different from the college game. The quarterbacks, the quarterback plays on a different planet than the college game. He's not pl- playing some guy from Purdue U. I mean, he's seeing, you know, the best 30 quarterbacks in the in, in on the planet every week who are throwing to receivers who are bigger, faster, stronger. And this is true for every cornerback. And that's why the transition of that position is so difficult. Um, and so the struggles you're seeing from him are pretty, I think, standard for the position for many rookies. I think of Darius Slay back in 2013 when the Lions drafted him. I mean, he was, I mean, he was terrible. I mean, he got benched twice that year. And now he's a perennial, uh, you know, awful kind of player, uh, one of the best in the league. Sometimes guys just need some time. Jeff Okuda, over time, may develop. But I think it's also concerning that you spend a top five pick on this guy. These are supposed to be transcendent talents, the best talents in the league. Uh, and it's not showing up yet 10 games in. And the the, the play he got beat on, beat on on Sunday, I think, is a perfect example of that, the 52-yard pass. Uh, he lost his footing early in the route, which I've seen from him literally since day one. You know, everyone loses their footing sometimes, but this guy does it all the time. And then just didn't have the speed to catch up to DJ Moore. I mean, there was a gap of two steps or whatever. Oh, that's just couldn't close it all the way down the field. I think don't that's you, concerning. Don't you coach technique, though? Like footwork and right. things like that? I mean, that's, a, okay. that's, that's a great question. I'm going to throw something at you. Me, me and you and Eric here, Hulkren, we're sitting at a table. We get a fourth, and we play, we play a board game or a card game, right? And we play that card game for 25 freaking years. You, you three win, and I never win. Now, it would just seem like in a division with three other teams. I know I know. Aaron Rodgers is great. Brett Favre was there, and so what? I grew up, Fran Tarkenton was beating the Lions for, for right, the Vikings. But that you're in pro sports, and your franchise, you're making billions of dollars. You're on the equal footing pretty much financially. Is like, what is the cultural issue here that we can't even luck into a division championship right. or in that 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 playoff game against um the cowboys you know back in what 2015 you're up 14 nothing now i know we got bad calls and bad breaks and all this stuff but over the arc of time <laughs> why are the lions so bad kyle solve this problem please it is a problem that defies all mathematics and logic i mean because you're, you're right it's pro sports it's a four-team division at least it has been since 2002. And not only that, you're in the sport with the most parity. I mean, the, the salary cap and the, is such that there is remarkable parity in the NFL. It's really hard to stay good, and it's really hard to stay bad. Most teams are somewhere in that like middle like bracket. Uh, and the draft is so important in the NFL that when you do suck and you get one of these top 10 picks or maybe two top 10 picks, you can transform your organization really quickly because you can get game-changing players on extremely cheap contracts, which allow you to do other things with your roster. And yet the Lions every single year uh, are some degree of mediocre and they haven't won. I mean, they they haven't won a division title since 93, 93. It's the longest drought in the, in the NFL. Obviously, everyone knows that they haven't appeared in the Super Bowl. 
but like getting to a Super Bowl is hard. I'm I'm just enamored at the fact that they haven't won a four man division like since '93 or '95 or whatever it was. It, it's '93, I think. And they haven't won a, a playoff game since '91, since January of '92, and uh, it's incredible. I, I think obviously it speaks for a long time. It spoke to poor ownership because they they hired bad people and kept the bad people around for way too long. Uh, I think in the more, more recent years, which is what the, when I've covered the team, like people very easily want to group, wanted to group Martha Ford with her husband. Their ownership style would be different. Martha wanted to win. She was more proactive. She fired managers and, and uh, presidents in the middle of the season. I, I, and that's a very rare thing in the NFL. Um, you know, she mandated the firing of assistant coaches. Like she was more active than people thought, but obviously, you know, they got to a certain level with Jim Caldwell and then it just peaked. And I, and I, and I really believe Jim Caldwell was going to take them any higher. I think he did a lot of great things in Detroit. He's a good manager of men. The, the, the players genuinely loved playing for him, but he had deficiencies as an X's and O's coach. And I think that was always going to hold them back. But then of course you, you, uh, you hired Bob Quinn who hires Matt Patricia, who is just an awful coach. I, I mean, he really is. Like, it, it has not worked out for him here. I, I would be curious to see Matt Patricia in a different situation where he doesn't have that awful first season that he did in Detroit that he's been trying to make up for in the locker room and stuff because it might work out for him. I don't know. But, like, I just don't see this happening in, in Detroit, well, John. And this you know, poor decision-making, the poor hirings and sticking with them for too long has just led to these endless cycles of mediocrity. Well, you you used the F word, which I'm gonna, I want to get to in a second, <laughs> Ford. Ford family. Um, but if I look, Jim Schwartz, Rod Marinelli, you know, Marty Morningweg, these guys all went on to be great coordinators. It's almost like the Lions hire great coordinators who don't have that head coaching. And then you look around that, you know, I know there's a lot of young coaches who have novel offensive approaches and all this in the league, but there's also Andy Reid. There's just good coaches out there. Um, but, you know, I, I was born in Dearborn. My mom worked for Ford Motor Company. I think the Ford family has been great for Detroit and they make good products and all this stuff. But I think they've been, I think you've changed everything about the team. You've changed the players, the coaches, the GMs, the presidents, the uniforms, the field, the marketing, everything. The only thing that hasn't changed since I've been alive is the ownership of the family. And when they, when William Clay Ford stood at the press conference firing Wayne Fonts and cried and hugged them, I think, you know, they're nice people but I think the culture of winning takes a different approach. And I think they don't have that fire to win. I saw on Denver, Denver was great seventies. They got really bad in the eighties and early nineties. And they got, uh, you know, a new owner who's now in the hall of fame who came in and demanded excellence, you know, and I just don't see that with the Fords. And by the way, speaking of Wayne Fonts, the most Lions stat ever is that he's the winningest Lions coach in Lions franchise history. And he had a losing record. So I think that says an awful lot. As a Bears fan, I appreciate that statistic. So thank you for that. (laughs) Eric from the top. He was no George Hallis, but he's the best coach they ever had because he won a playoff game. So can you please address that, Kyle? And I I don't want to be controversial or whatever. I just think I looked at um, from William Clay Ford to Junior to to Martha to now Sheila, uh, you know, who seems like an awful nice person, but but this is a pro football franchise and where, you know, where ownership's responsibility in all this. Yeah. So William Clay, I think, you know, I, I don't know about his earlier years, but in his later years, uh, extremely passive owner who let bad people do bad things for a really long time. You mean like Matt Millen? Uh, exactly. Perhaps. Perfect yes. Example. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sheila takes over. Sheila was more, again, more proactive, more aggressive than her husband. I mean, she, 
fired Martin Mayhew and Tom Luan in the season, which you don't see with executives in the NFL. Um, and they did uh, Jim Caldwell fire assistance when things were going extremely poorly in 2015 or whatever it was. Um, obviously, things didn't work out then, but I saw different ownership with her. And now we're with Sheila, and I don't know anything about her ownership style. And these are big questions that I'm, I'm planning to write about you know, as early as this week, perhaps, uh, but certainly going forward as the Lions evaluate what's going on. Because you're right, the Ford family, uh, their ownership has been abysmal. But I'm just personally reticent to group Sheila Ford Hampton with their parents because I don't like, they're different human human beings, you know, and I don't know what her ownership style is going to be like. I, I just don't know. But they, it's the same family, same name. And I know people want to group them all in together. And I, I understand it because it just hasn't worked. But she's a different person. And based, I don't know her at all. I've had two conversations with her in my life, but based on people that I know who do know her, uh, I, I think that she's going to really try to step out from the shadow of her parents' ownership style to set her own course to, um, you know, to not be grouped in with what happened with her parents. Um, this the things I've been told. Uh, but I think to do that, you also have to, you have to, as you say, John, you have to be more accountable to what's going on. So if the Lions lose on Thanksgiving, they've already been lo- they've already been blown out three of the last four weeks. They had a truly ugly win in there against Washington. If you go out there on national TV and you lose again, particularly in ugly fashion, I think that's an opportunity for Sheila Fordham to come out and say, things are going to be different going forward. I'm in charge of this team now. Um, and to make decisions on, on, on Patricia, I think he could be fired if it gets ugly on Thursday. And I think if she's really intent on being different than her parents, that's something that that's an opportunity for her to do that and to step out a little bit. Uh, I think you're being really fair, but by not judging before you know a lot about her, I did read one long profile about her um, and read her background, which is she's active in nonprofit causes. She was active in the Ann Arbor library system. I think she, she lived in Ann Arbor, former teacher, things like that, but I didn't see a football background. I didn't see any professional sports background. I, you know, I'm like, I, I might know as much as she does. I mean, that might be presumptive, but um, it I didn't look to me like she was, she's coming through the league, like Theo Epstein in baseball or something where, you know, you're an expert at what you're doing now. She has been her mother, she was her mother's right hand uh, person, right hand woman for the last, I would say probably two years of Martha Ford's ownership. And you can, of course, you can draw your own conclusions about how good, how quality of an education that is. But I'm just saying she was, her mom was an owner in name during that period, but Sheila Ford Hamp was in the room when a lot of stuff was going down. That that was her indoctrination into football. And then like when they brought back Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn, that was Martha Ford's name on it. That was Sheila Ford's dis- decision. And right. obviously it's proven to be a wrong one, but I'm just saying that that is her, her education in football. Yeah. So I'm not casting aspersions and I wouldn't even judge her like her by her firing Patricia it's more like it's going to take a few more years to see what she you know and we that's all we got is time as Lions fans um so back to Thanksgiving um let's just really quickly do you I don't I'm going to give you guys a second to think of any favorite Thanksgiving memories you may have and here's one that you'll enjoy uh Eric because you're a Bears fan okay before you were born and probably before you were born Eric's 1980 I was home from I college was, I was six Okay. <laughs> you notice Kyle's not saying anything. <laughs> I was negative six. <laughs> uh, so anyways, I was home from college. It was Thanksgiving. My mom always has tradition. She cooked, but we wouldn't eat until the Lions game was over. Right? So, you, you know, having a drink, you're hors d'oeuvre. 
and they were up 17-3 on the Bears. Any idea where this is going? I might um, have an idea where this went, yes. So last play of the game, very last, the time, the time expires is the Bears score to tie the game. So I had to go in the kitchen to tell my mom, my dad's in the living room. I had to go in the kitchen to tell my mom, like, you got to hold on because this thing's going to overtime. And while I'm telling my mom, I start this torrent of profanity comes from the living room. <laughs> my father had a pretty salty vocabulary and he's screaming. And I come in and the Bears had returned the overtime kickoff for a touchdown. Back then, overtime was over with the first score. And it was at the time, the shortest overtime in NFL history. <laughs> that that Thanksgiving dinner was pretty somber. And that's not the only one that's been made somber <laughs> over the years. So I don't know if you, if anything, since you've been covering the team, uh, is there anything special about Thanksgiving, Kyle, or is it just another football game once you're in the stadium? I'll make it, I'll make it more pers personal. I made it, all the games kind of run together for, for me, but like, it, it is like a special tradition in, in Detroit, around the country too, especially in, in the state because it's our team. Um, and, you know, uh, I think I've tried to come in early, like, especially my first couple of years covering the team, I tried to get into the city early. I was living in Ann Arbor back then. And I try to get into the city early just to walk around, get a feel for the vibe, talk to people and stuff. And it's, it, it feels like a, a holiday, for lack of a better word. I mean, it's that football holiday on the holiday, you know. Um, and then, so I've, I got an appreciation for that. But then covering the game every year in Ford Field every year, like, I'm away from my family and, and that of my poor mother but it's like i've created like my own personal tradition you know like, like our our traditions on the beat uh as media and being around the team and stuff and um they the uh, the lions they serve um, a thanksgiving meal up in the, the press box and oh, nice. that's always been that's always been special for me to be able to be around my colleagues that i see every day this time of year and to be able to have that tradition and eat turkey and, and stuffing but it's funny because i don't think it was the first year and probably not the second year on the beat for me but definitely one of those early years second or third year on the beat um inactives come out 90 minutes before the game uh thanksgiving game is always 12 30 so 11 a.m is when the inactive list comes out of the players who aren't going to play that day and i wasn't particularly hungry that morning they already had the food out and so i'm like well i'll, I'll wait for the inactives to come out i'll write my story about whoever's not playing and then i'll go grab something to eat so i did that and then I, I go back to where they keep the food in the press box and it's gone. <laughs> All of it's gone except green beans. And so I just pile up my plate with uh, green beans and I, I'm, I was so angry. I went back to my seat and you know, people around, people around the team, they, they know that I like to eat. Okay. I have these like massive, like I have like my system of like you know, two decker buffet plate up in the press box. And then I come through on Thanksgiving with a pile of green beans. And everyone's like, what are you doing? <laughs> like there is no food left. There's no food left. It's the most lion's thing ever. <laughs> well, I didn't eat. Like I didn't eat that day. And I was so angry and so hungry. <laughs> As the kids call it, you know, hangry. I was hangry that day, and uh, that's I'd re uh, one of the endearing memories. I have. and now it's a good now it's a good running joke every year on Thanksgiving. Everyone's always asking me about green beans. You know, that's hilarious. So this year, uh, things are different. Just really quickly, tell me how different for you this year, and how this. I'm I'm sure they're not going to put out a banquet for you guys this year or buffet. Um, but how are things been for you personally um, with with the the COVID? lockdowns and the fact that there's no fans and all that. How's that, how's that major job? Well, it's made it very difficult to be honest with you. Um, uh, you know, we still get interviews, uh, you know, via zoom. 
uh, where you can still go to the games. So the big stuff is still there. But, you know, this job is more than just talking to a player with 20 other people. I, I mean, this to do this job well, you got to create relationships with guys. And it's like, you know, it, it's just hard to differentiate from the pack right now, I guess, because most of my stories are the same quotes as everyone else because there's no opportunities really for one-on-ones. Um, and beyond that, there's the long-term implications of, I'm not developing relationships with the new guys. You know, I still have the guys you know, I knew in the locker room from before, and sometimes I can talk to them and get a feel for what's going on, but I'm not in the locker room every day, which gives you, it makes it more difficult to figure out the mood of the team. And then also, I, I don't know DeAndre Swift. Like, I, I don't, I've never talked to Jeff, Kuda, Jeff Okuda face-to-face. Uh, I've never talked to uh, Vitae face-to-face, like the new free agents. Um, so, like, I, I just, I don't personally know a lot of these guys, and it makes it harder to build the relationships you need to write good stories, like in-depth stories, because beyond the surface level of what's happening in the day-to-day. Um, and so that's been, that's been difficult. Uh, and then, you know, covering games has been fine, because we're still there. Um, can still see everything, still talk, still talk to some people after the game. Um, uh, but again, you can't, you know, I, after games, I love going to players that I have good relationships with, with no notebook out, no recorder out and just asking honest questions about what happened. And that's how I've gotten the best information about what's gone down. No one wants to go on record saying, yeah, we sucked or that guy sucked or the coach sucks, but when you have a good relationship with a guy, you know, uh, who knows you're not going to burn him and you can just have a, a frank discussion about why the hell something is happening you can get a lot better information. And I'm not getting that information right now because of the COVID culture. The fan thing is bizarre. I mean, you know, like uh, they have a backing track in the stadium going uh, for some like murmur background noise, but it's still odd. And then when a player gets hurt, they cut out, at least at Ford Field, they'll cut out the backing track. And that that's extremely weird. It's like being in a library. It, it's, like, it's like being in an empty library but there's like world-class athletes on the field and some guys laying on the field with like a broken ACL or whatever. I mean, it's just a bizarre scene that I never could have in any other year pictured what I'm picturing every single week this, this year. And it's just right. been, it's been difficult and it's been interesting in some ways because it's so different, but also difficult to do from a journalist point of view. I'd be remiss. I one question I do need to ask you related to Thanksgiving. Is this going to be the last time that we see the lions on Thanksgiving on NFL, a broadcast, at least on a, an annual basis, because there's talk around the league. There's a lot of talk. It's been growing as Alliance uh, stay mediocre year after year, that people yeah. want better entertainment uh, on Thanksgiving. Yeah, I, I understand the sentiment from around the country uh, because I'd want to watch better football too, but it's such a tradition. It's so ingrained in the sport. Um, there's a reason why the Lions are on Thanksgiving every year. It's because when the NFL wanted to start the Thanksgiving game. None of the teams wanted to do it. And the Lions stepped up and said, we'll do it. And so it's been kind of like a reward for the Lions stepping up that they became they could do it every year. Now that it's a big thing, I, I just don't see them taking it away from Detroit. Um, I mean, if they didn't do it after 2008 and 2009 and 2010, I mean, those years were worse than this year. I mean, they're bad this year, but that was like a nuclear wasteland back then. I mean, the, the roster was terrible. It was dysfunctional. Um, I, I can't predict the future, John, and um, so who knows? But it would surprise me just based on conversations I've had with people around the around the lines. The lines believe they'll never have it taken from them. At least they can't foresee it happening. Mm-hmm. Well, and they added two more games on Thanksgiving Day, so they always find a way to get the Saints or somebody on there who's who's right. good. So 
Anyways, hey, I hope you get more than green beans this year, at least <laughs> at home or somewhere, you know, from Grubhub or something. Oh, um, believe me, when I walk in that, when I walk in, I'm piling that plate up first thing every single year now. Like, it'll never happen. <laughs> you don't miss that meal, right? <laughs> hey, well, hey, Kyle, good luck covering uh, the game this week. Uh, have a happy Thanksgiving. It's just, it is a very strange year. Um, uh, a lot of this we just canceled our our family our annual yeah, you know cool. we're gonna, everybody's gonna kind of have to to just ride it out but uh you know we're lions fans we're used to riding it out so um as a lions beat writer i hear you man i gotta watch that stuff live every single year <laughs> <laughs> hey thanks for taking one for our team kyle i appreciate it anytime nice, talk, nice catching up john good to see you eric thank you for uh thank you for having me on And there they go. A huge thanks to Kyle for spending some time talking through the Lions season with us. And of course, to my co-host, John Heiner. If you like what John and I are doing, there's a couple things you can do for us. One, you can like and review the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And two, you can share it with friends who might be into what we're doing on Behind the Headlines. And a third thing, a bonus thing for you to do. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving break. I hope you and yours are safe, and we will talk to you next week. Until then, I am Eric Hulkerin. He is John Heiner, and this is Behind the Headlines.